In our society today, we're very familiar with public announcements about future events. We're very familiar with those. Uh, we, we send out announcements about high school graduations. We send out birth announcements and company announces will have announcements about expansion plans or sometimes even announce they're moving the company or laying people off. And announcing future events is nothing new to us. But what would you think about an announcement that was 1921 years old? I mean, that's predicting it far ahead, isn't it? Is it not? You think about an, an announcement that's 1921 years old and still counting. And somebody might say, well, Pastor, that's not an, an announcement. That's a mistake. You know, if somebody said something's going to happen and we've been waiting 1921 years, I would guess they've got it wrong. Well, announcements sometimes do turn out not to be true. Sometimes they are misleading. But the announcement we're going to be looking at tonight, though it is 1921 years old, is exactly on target and one day will be absolutely and completely fulfilled. This announcement that we're going to look at this evening was made around 95 A.D. Some would say it was as early as 65 A.D., but we're going to use the conservative date of 95 A.D., Apostle John, aided by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sat down and, and wrote about the last day on earth. It was an announcement that every generation since then finds important. It will, of course, especially be very, very important to the last generation who will live through the days of the tribulation. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Revelation chapter 14 as we read this announcement of a future day on God's calendar where there will be a harvest of those living on the earth. And again, this announcement we're about to read is roughly 1,921 years old, yet it is still true. It still awaits the, the event, and it will indeed occur. Now, let me help you understand this announcement before we read it. There's coming a day when Christ will come to claim believers still on the earth. There's coming a day, a particular day, when two things will happen. He will come and claim believers still on the earth. The second thing that will happen on this day is that there will be a holy vengeance that will be expressed towards unbelievers. That might sound a little bit strange to you if, you're, if you think of God only as a loving God. But there is a day coming when God will claim the believers that are still left on the earth and He will express a holy vengeance against unbelievers. I've got two scriptures. I want you to write these down there in the sidebar of your note sheet. Isaiah 34 verse 8. I'll read it for you. You can just listen. Isaiah 34 verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution to uphold Zion's cause. Romans chapter 12 is another verse you might want to write down. Romans 12 verse 19. Romans 12 19 says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
And in Revelation chapter 14, we see what he's talking about, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The last day on earth will be for some an awesome day. And then for millions of others, it will be an awful day. Let's read the text. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. John said, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. With a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Notice he's talking about the harvest of the earth. It's a large harvest, is it not? Verse 16. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Again, I call your attention to the fact that it is in the entire earth. Every tribe, every language, every people, every continent, every nation, every village, the earth was harvested. Verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. This announcement is simply a preview of what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. God will bring about a harvest, the Bible says, of the entire earth. This is what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. It's basically an, an announcement regarding the battle of Armageddon. This is the first announcement, the first clear announcement that we have of what's going to happen at the battle of Armageddon. So I want to kind of walk through this text with you and help you understand the key characters that are talked about here. First of all, look on your notes. Number one, Jesus is listed or is shown as the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is listed as, or he's shown as the Lord of the harvest. The return of Christ for his saints is pictured in this text. As Jesus did in the gospel, the, the return of Christ is pictured as, uh, in terms of a grain harvest. When we read these verses we're about to read again, uh, I want you to be sure that you understand these first verses are talking about a grain harvest, and it really is a picture of Jesus harvesting His saints, believers, okay? Uh, those who had been left and, and who had been saved. So let's look at the text and see what it says. <clears throat> and I've, I put some notes there uh, in your notes that, that might be important, some phrases, some wording that might be important. John says, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud. Now, the white cloud is a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of God's presence. In the Old Testament, do you remember that they followed the cloud by day? 
pillar of fire by night. The cloud was a symbol of, of God's presence with them. I want you to open your Bibles, put your finger there in Revelation, go to Mark chapter 13, verse 26. I need somebody on this half, this half, Mark 13, 26, and somebody on this half over here, read Mark 14, verse 62. Over here to my right, somebody would read verse, uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 26. All right. At that time, he says, men will see this. Did he say the Son of Man? The Son of Man coming in the clouds. Is that right? What it says? All right. So, so note the connection. The Son of Man coming in the clouds. And then we see in chapter 14, verse 62. Somebody on my left, read verse 62, please. Yes, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So we go back to Revelation, chapter 14. John says in verse 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a Son of Man. And notice he's talking about not only this white cloud, but someone seated on this cloud like the Son of Man. That term, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite reference to Himself. It speaks of His humanity. and It's a reminder that our coming judge is one who knows what we are like. He is not simply confined to the heavens. He is the Son of Man. He knows what it is to be a man. He knows what it is to be one of us. Go to John chapter 5, verse 27. We'll look at several scriptures tonight. John 5. Verse 27. And he has given him authority to judge, speaking of Jesus, because he is the Son of Man. This was a, one of the favorite references, uh, terms that Jesus used for himself and that the gospel writers used of Jesus. So when we go back to Revelation 14, John says, I looked and there before me was a, a white cloud symbolizing his presence and his purity and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. But then John says he was more than just a man because, look what he says, he, he had a, a, a crown of gold on his head. The word crown, put this in the sidebar there, the note place. The word crown is the Greek word stephanos, and it means a victor's crown. A stephanos is not just a crown, it is a victor's crown. It's the crown that someone who wins a victory would get. And this was not just a stephanos, this was a gold stephanos, symbolizing his royalty. He is the king of kings. It symbolized his divinity. So we have the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man, wearing this gold crown symbolizing His divinity. And notice what's in His hand. Somebody tell me what is in His hand. A sickle. Do you, do you know what a sickle is? Some of you... Say that again, Mary, Mary Pat. 
Yes. Somebody describe what it looks like. You guys know what it is, don't you? I'm telling you, several of you. You've used one, yeah. So you got this long wooden pole, and you got this curved blade, basically, at the end of the pole, right? And you're swinging that sickle. With that word picture in mind, it says... This one who's on the cloud, who is the Son of Man, his humanity, who has a crown of gold, his divinity on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. That represents that it was harvest time. Speaks of his power and his authority. I want you to see something, again, going back to the uh, front of the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the, wheat, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? I've often wondered that myself. Where in the world do the weeds come from? I've never planted weeds, but I've seen them grow everywhere. Verse 28, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot or you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until, until when? And this gets very interesting when you compare it to Revelation. Listen to what he says in this parable. Let both grow together until the harvest There is a date out there. There is a harvest coming. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And Jesus was saying in this parable, I want you to understand something, two things. Number one, there is a harvest coming. Number two, the second thing you you need to understand is that when this harvest happens, there will be a separation. You'll be harvesting actually two different groups of people. So we continue to read, skipping down to verse 37. Going down to verse 37. Well, let's go to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I I like this. They're, They're basically saying, We heard what you said. We just don't get it. We're still trying to figure it out. Explain to us what you meant about the weeds and the wheat. And so he explains it. Verse 37, he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field, the field is the world. We could say using the, the wordage or the, the verbiage of, the, of Revelation, the field is the earth. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds, the weeds are the sons of who? 
sons of the evil one. Those who are not Christians, those who have never professed their faith in Christ. Sons of the evil one are not necessarily demons. Son, though it would include that, sons of the evil one would be anyone who is not a child of God. Let that sink in for a moment. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, verse 39, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is is the end of the age. The end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels... And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And that phrase, he who has ears, let him hear, basically means this. You better be sure to listen to this. You better be sure to get this. This is important. There is a harvest day coming. Better be sure you understand this. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've had this experience. I have. Have you ever had trouble discerning, trying to determine who is and who isn't a Christian? Have you ever looked at somebody and said, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know if he isn't. I don't know if he is or isn't. And then we'll say something like this. And I want you to raise your hand because we'll see if you're awake. I've said this. Perhaps you've said this as well. If you have, I want you to raise your hand. You know, we can't be the judge, but we can't be fruit inspectors. Right? And here's what that means. We can't be the judge. We can't say, yes, he is, or no, he isn't. But we can look at the fruit in his life. And as we look at the fruit in his life, we either do see evidence, we do see fruit that he is a Christian, or we don't see fruit that he's a Christian. We can't be the judge, but we can be fruit inspectors. But even then... We can't be sure sometimes, can we? Well, listen, friend, there is a Lord of the harvest who will have no trouble whatsoever differentiating between the wheat and the weeds. There is a harvest coming, and there is one who will be able to distinguish for all of us and for every person on the earth, whether they're wheat or whether they're weeds, whether they know the Lord or whether they don't. The day is coming when he will distinguish between the genuine and the fake, and he will divide the two. And when that day comes, their destiny will be sealed for eternity. I remember I spoke one time with a man who had, I want you to listen real carefully, it's a true story. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. I spoke one time with a man who was a minister and a missionary, and he had served as a minister and a missionary and or a missionary for at least 20 years. After serving as a minister and a missionary for about 20 years, he came to the realization that he was not saved. I talked to him about that, and, and he, I said, well, explain that to me. How, how can you be a minister for 20 years? How can you be a missionary for 20 years? And then come to the realization you're not saved. He said, well, from time to time, I, I would have my doubts. And, and I wrote, I'm, I'm reading what he said. I, I've got it in, in my notes. He said, from time to time, I'd have my doubts. 
but I'd always talk myself into believing I was saved. And he would say, I, would, I, I must be saved. Look at all that I've done for God. But in one of those doubting times, he decided to nail it down and to make sure that Jesus was his Savior. And this is what he said. He said, Keith, the difference now is incredible. He said, I have real peace in my heart that I never had before. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. But I am asking you to make sure you know that you're saved. I am asking you not to go 20 years wondering. Not to go 20 years hoping. Not to go 20 years maybe that you're saved. Because there is a harvest coming. And in that harvest, both in Matthew as well as in Revelation, isn't it interesting, in the first book of the New Testament and the last book of the New Testament, we have essentially the same story. And the story is this, there is a harvest coming. And at that harvest, he will separate the wheat from the weeds. And the destinies of both will be determined. So let's go to verse 15, going back to Revelation chapter 14. Go on to verse 15, because it's a little bit puzzling verse. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, if the figure in verse 14 is Christ, and there is some debate about that, to be honest with you, I believe the figure in verse 14 is Christ. But if that's true, if the figure in verse 14 is Christ, why would he take orders from another angel? See verse 15? Yep, that's right. <laughs> I just that's one of those things we just drop the microphone and walk off the stage. Uh, Mark chapter thirteen. Let's check her out. Mark thirteen, verse thirty two. Mark thirteen, verse thirty two. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples. No, that's chapter 14. Let me get the right chapter. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Heavenly Father will one day declare it's time, and the harvest will begin. Now, let's go back to Revelation 14. Let's go this time to verse 16. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Some see in this verse a reference to the Lord's return. You might want to put in the sidebar, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. You know that scripture probably, if that reference sounds familiar. 
but, but let me just read it to you. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you, and watch carefully, that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in where? Where, where are we going to meet him? In the clouds, it says in my text. Maybe, different, maybe it says in the air in your text. But After that, we who are still alive, verse 17, and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Back in Revelation 14, John says, I saw one coming seated on a cloud. And here he talks about we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So when you go to verse 16, Revelation 14, verse 16, and it says, He who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. That very may well be described for us in... Um, 1 Thessalonians 4. So that's the first harvest. The first harvest that we're, uh, that we're talking about is, is the harvest of those who know the Lord. Yes. No, I'm sorry, no, not the right. This is at the tribulation. For those, for those who have been saved during the, through the tribulation. This occurs at the tribulation. Now I want you to go to the second harvest. Second harvest is, is, is to me, kind of intriguing because... It's not of grain. The first harvest was a harvest of grain. Remember that Jesus in Matthew talks about the wheat, grain, and the weeds. Second harvest is not a harvest of, of grain or is even of, of weeds, but the word picture is different. In the second harvest, it's, it's a harvest of grapes. I believe symbolizing those who are lost and who face God's judgment. Look at verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And still another had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First, I want you to notice these are clusters of grapes from the earth's vines. Interesting there that he uses that word earth's vines. Remember that Jesus once said, I am the vine. Remember that? The Gospels, Jesus said in, in John, he said, I am the true vine. John chapter 15, he said, I am the true vine. But these grapes are not from that vine. These grapes are from the earth's vine. I believe probably it's a reference to people and nations uh, who follow the Antichrist, who are not following the Lord. They're, they're not following Jesus, the true vine. They are following, they're the fruit of the earth's vine. Now, something very interesting occurs here. Let's go back to the text. 
Verse 18, still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great wine press of God's what? God's wrath. Here, I think, listen to this, listen, listen, listen. Here, I think we have the answer to the question that the souls of the martyred tribulation saints ask in Revelation 6. You probably don't remember that question, so let's go back to it. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice. These are souls of people martyred during the tribulation. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? And avenge our blood. How long, Lord, until you deal with these people who have slaughtered us simply because we're followers of Jesus? How long, Lord, will it be until you bring about justice for them? I think in Revelation chapter 14, we get the answer. In Revelation chapter 14, the angel comes with the sickle to to harvest the grapes of the earth. And it says, in verse 18, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are... What's that next word? Its grapes are... It's an interesting word in the Greek language because it doesn't just mean ripe as we would consider ripe. You might even write in the sidebar, it basically means almost overripe. My my dad used to love what I would call rotten bananas. You know, I love bananas. I, I can eat me some bananas. But I want my bananas to be yellow on the outside, you know. And when I open it, I want, it, I want my bananas to be white. I want my bananas to be fresh. Dad would say, boy, those things aren't fit to eat. His bananas, they weren't good until they almost black. The whole thing was black. You know, then you open it up and they're just spotted and mushy. And it, that's the way he liked. He, he didn't like his bananas ripe. He liked his bananas overripe. All right? That's the word used here in Revelation. The Greek word means totally ripe. You, you could even translate it rotten or withered. More than ripe. It's a beautiful picture, though, when you think about it. That God in His mercy is withholding judgment until the very last minute. He will give the world many chances to repent of their sins before He destroys it. No one will be able to say that God acted too soon. He withheld His judgment until the grapes were overripe. But eventually, verse 19, they experienced the wine press. God's wrath. 
Verse 19, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. This is a word picture of judgment. But it's a word picture that every Jew reading this would have understood immediately. See, in the Old Testament, there are several passages that, dis- that compare divine judgment to the treading of grapes in a wine press. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of this, but basically when, when you tread the, the grapes in a wine press, one of the main ways to do that was you put them in that press and there's somebody walking around mushing the grapes down. But let me show you a couple of examples in the Old Testament. Uh, go to uh, the book of Isaiah 63, verse 3. Isaiah 63, verse 3. God's day of vengeance and redemption is the title of Isaiah 63. And it's God's day of vengeance is described this way. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Find the little book of Joel, the Old Testament, Joel chapter 3. Joel. Chapter 3, verse 13. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. I mean, these are words just like in Revelation. Swing the sickle, for the harvest. And there's that word, the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not believe in the inspiration of the Bible, you need to simply read it sometimes because it is fascinating. In the days of the Old Testament, Joel, the Old Testament prophet, essentially said almost word for word the same thing that hundreds of years later the Apostle John wrote in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow so great is their wickedness. Go back to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to end this thing, but you need to see this. Reading verse 19 and 20 this time. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and and what's that next word? Blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. It's possible, I can't say for certainty, but it's very possible that verse 20 may be a reference to Armageddon. I did a little research, and 1600 stadia is, is a, roughly about, a, about 180 miles. And he said the blood would flow as high as the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. I can't even fathom that in my brain. I can't even fathom water doing that, much less there being 
blood that high going that far. Roughly, 180 miles is roughly the length of the land of Palestine. Now, lots of people don't like hearing that. They prefer Jesus to be the Jesus of the Gospels. They prefer Jesus to be the Jesus that offers forgiveness. But that's only half the picture. Not only is there, he's the same person, but not only is he Jesus of the Gospels, there is also a Jesus of Revelation who is coming not only as Savior, but also as Judge. trying to decide how to describe this to you best. I'll just put it to you plain. Right now, the Lord Jesus could be your Savior. But one day, if you reject Him, He will be your judge. Right now, you can experience His love and His mercy and His grace. But one day, when the harvest comes, if you have rejected Him, you will experience his wrath. It's not two different people. It's the same person. Now, you talk to me for a moment. Help us as a group understand this. How is it that Jesus can be, can be a God of love and mercy and grace? And then, as we read here in Revelation, at that harvest, those who have rejected him will experience the fury of his wrath. How can it be both? We understand the love, mercy, and grace. We get that part. We grew up with that. But talk to me about how is he a God of wrath? The lion and the lamb, the gentleness and the fierceness. Yes. But why is there fierceness? Anybody? Say that. What? Sin is so wicked. Take that further. He demands obedience. He, yes. He is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. All of these are good answers. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hang on to that, Billy. Hang on to that. Has to be true to his word. The wages of sin is death. Somebody else over here. He's what? God of justice, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I like to say it this way. He's God and we're not. That settles a lot for me personally. He's God, we're not. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Billy said something. Billy, say it one more time what you said. He has to be true to his word. I think we can't fully comprehend 
the concept of holiness and the concept of justice and the concept of wrath. We can't fully, our minds can't fully grasp that. But, but as best as I can explain to you, if he is holy, and he is, if he is holy and without sin, he cannot and will not tolerate sin. He eventually will judge it. Right now, he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There is coming a day when he has declared he will judge sin. And sin will receive his full wrath. And there's not a third category like, okay, here are the Christians, and here are the really bad people, and here is those people who not yet come to faith in Christ, but they're, they're kind of good people. There's not a third category. There's two categories. Two categories are, are the wheat and the weeds. Those who know the Lord, those who don't. Those who follow the Lord, those who don't. Those who follow Jesus, those who are following the Antichrist. You say, well, I'm not following the Antichrist. Listen, folks, if you are not following Christ, you're following the spirit of the Antichrist. So there's only two groups. One will receive mercy at the harvest. One will receive wrath. One will experience grace and forgiveness. The other will experience judgment. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So let me go quickly to the laws of the harvest. Three laws of the harvest. Number one, you reap what you sow. The Bible is so clear about this. Don't be deceived. God is not, not, not mocked, the Bible says. No one's going to fool God at the end of time. No one is going to live their life in rebellion to Him and then at the end surprise us with their devotion to the Lord. You're not going to say, oh, I'll, you know, uh, if you sow the seeds of rejecting God, then one day you will reap God's rejection of you. you. You reap what you sow. If you sow the seeds of rejecting God, then one day you will reap God's rejection of you. It's the law of the harvest. You, you reap what you sow. Number two, you reap later than you sow. No one reaps and sows the same day. Every farmer knows that. The time of harvest is not the day you sow it. The time of harvest comes a lot later, doesn't it? So you're fooling yourself if you think your sin is slipping by God because He hasn't judged it yet. He's waiting for the right time. And I don't know about you, but I think the world is ripe for harvest. Don't let the, the slowness of God's judgment deceive you. Because not only do you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow. And number three, you reap more than you sow. That's always true in, in just a regular harvest, isn't it? Billy, uh, you, you've planted some things over your time, haven't you? I got a question for you, Billy. Uh, if you only, if you only reaped the seeds you put in the ground, would you be able to make a living off that? You, 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 re, you, you plant, how do you plant corn, Billy? Huh? You plant it a kernel at a time. And when, and when everybody watch, this is, this is good stuff right here. It's about to get good, all right? 
Billy, you put a corn in a, a, a kernel of corn in the ground. The Lord waters it for you, and sometimes you help him. You put, you know, you fertilize it, whatever you do. I don't know what you do. I only eat it. I don't, I don't plant it. So, so you plant a kernel of corn in the ground, and eventually what comes from that kernel of corn? Come on, help me. A stalk. And what's on the stalk? A one corn, right? Two ears. How, wait, 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 wait. You mean I took one little kernel, I put it in the dirt, and all of a sudden I got two ears of kernels. Is that right? You always reap more than you sow. If you didn't, it wouldn't make any sense to sow anything, would it? How does that apply to you and me? You and I are sowing for a lifetime, but we're going to reap for an eternity. You always reap more than you sow. You will sow for 20, 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years. You sow for a lifetime. And you reap for eternity. So be very careful. Make very sure that when the day of harvest comes, you have nothing to fear. Let me pray with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me say two or three things to you. First of all, don't get discouraged when evil seems to intensify because God is still in control. He has a harvest day that he knows about and we're heading towards that harvest day. And leave tonight without making sure you're ready for the harvest that is coming because God has been patiently waiting for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would not be too comfortable, that we would not be lazy people and forget that you're coming soon to bring justice to this world. Help us not to get so comfortable on our padded pews that we forget about those who are not sitting here, those who don't know you, those who are from the the grapes from the vine of this earth. I pray that you would help us to be mindful of those who are outside the faith, those who are not prepared for that last day of harvest. I pray, God, that our church would have an outward focus for those who desperately need the gospel. But I also pray for anyone here, anyone who has come on this Sunday night, and they're like that minister and that missionary, and they still don't know, they're still not sure, I pray that before they go to sleep tonight, they would nail that down. Their heart would be right with you. And their life would be eternally changed. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.